Real quick before we dive into today's show, did you know that on average recruiters take six seconds to scan a resume? No pressure in submitting your application, right? Well, six seconds aside, it's easy to become overwhelmed when it comes to updating your resume, I know. But I've got some good news, I can help. I've created a simple resource to support you and trust me when I say this, updating your resume doesn't need to feel daunting. Check out the resumerefreshchallenge.com to download your resource today. Again, that's the resumerefreshchallenge.com to download your resources today. Hello and welcome to the Own Your Career podcast. If this is your first time listening, you should know that I started the podcast to inspire and motivate ambitious professionals get into action with all things career. When I was growing up, my dream was to work within sport. I played ice hockey. I lived in Ontario where there was relatively easy access to attending professional sporting events from the Raptors to the Jays to the Hamilton Tiger Cats to the Leafs. And I ended up attending Brock University and earned a degree in the sport management program. My guest today fully pursued a career within the world of sport and happens to be a professor within the very program I took. Ambition, drive, persistence, and full of energy These are all words I would use to describe today's guest, Dr. Michael Narain. From stadium operations to leading students and a very trusted advisor within the world of sport, Mike has been very committed to growing his career. Over the years, he was guided by his pursuit of excellence and trusting his intuition. He took a bet on himself, and it's very safe to say it's worked out for him. I'm excited for you to meet him, and I know you'll find joy listening to our conversation. Here's my chat with Dr. Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, Jenna. Thank you so much for being a guest today on the Own Your Career podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. Yes, I just, from working together and you having me or asking me to speak with some of your classes, I've really enjoyed that time. And I thought you would be a really cool person to hear from for this um, podcast and for people to hear about your experience and your career journey and growth. So really grateful for your time. I appreciate you reciprocating and, and it's always great to, to, you know, have a conversation about with, with cool people. So yes. I, I appreciate you thinking that I'm a cool person. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we get started right away? I would love to just pass it over to you to introduce yourself. And something that's important to me is every guest sharing with everyone, um, how they were brought up a little bit about their cultural upbringing and just really ground everyone in who you are as a person. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, th- yeah, yeah. Again, thanks so much. So, I'm Dr. Mike Narain, and I'm an associate professor of sport management at Brock University. Uh, I'm also on the executive board of Canada Snowboard, uh, which is the national governing body for snowboarding Canada. <laughs> so, as far as my background, I mean, I've obviously worked in sport. Um, it's how I've been able to get to where I am today. But I've also worked in some non-sport capacities. Um, I actually spent a year at Blackberry in 2013, okay. which was our make or break year. Um, uh, and we obviously broke, I should say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we had a Super Bowl campaign ad and Alicia Keys was our influencer. And the, the really quick side story is Alicia Keys was our influencer in 2013 and she was caught using an iPhone <gasps> while we were paying. I know. Scandalous, right? <laughs> so she was taking money from us while she was using an iPhone. So, oh, no. needless to say, uh, after my one year with BlackBerry, it didn't you know? We, I wasn't there much longer, and I also worked for Samsung uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, so, so you, Jenna, you asked about my cultural upbringing. So, yeah. 
I, you know, I, I was born in Toronto, you know, traditional territory of the Huron-Wendat, the Mississaugas of the Credit and the Seneca. But, you know, I, I identify as an Indo-Caribbean Canadian. Uh, so my mom is from Guyana, which is in South America, but culturally it's in the West Indies uh, and the Caribbean. And, and my, my biological dad is, is from St. Vincent and the Grenadines, which is an island also in the Caribbean. So uh, ancestrally, I'm East Indian. Uh, but I identify as a West Indian. It's a very unique culture. It's a very interesting um, history. And there's a lot of diaspora here in Canada. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I currently get to live and work on the beautiful land, which is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe. So yeah, that's it. That's a little bit about my cultural upbringing and, or, you know, I, in terms of, you know, who I am and, and where I come from and certainly the land that I get to, um, you know, enjoy today. Yeah. And so how do you think your cultural upbringing influenced where you are today in terms of career anyways? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, well, you know, in my household and certainly for my family, you know, the career options for me were threefold, doctor, lawyer, or engineer. <laughs> and, and you, you know, it's funny because I'll, I'll say to my mom, hey, listen, I, I became a doctor. And she's like, yes, but not the doctor I wanted you to become. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, my, and my brother will always say that I'm a fake doctor and not a real doctor. Damn those NDs for co-opting the word doctor away from us, uh, doctor of philosophy peeps. But, yeah, you know, I think... You know, growing up, sport wasn't that important for my family. So I'm definitely the black sheep when it comes to that. But mm -hmm. business and success and ambition, um, those were values that were, again, toxic values to some capacity. But those were some of the values that were instilled uh, upon and within me at a very young age to be the best, to be a leader, to contribute um, at a high scale, at a high clip with high cadence mm -hmm. and, and not to just, you know, rest on your laurels or, or, or stay in the shadows or, or be, you know, just another cog in the wheel. So, you know, I think, and again, I grew up in a very uh, low income bracket. I grew up in a, a underprivileged community, I suppose, at that time, at least with immigrants, mm -hmm. um, both Western European immigrants and certainly from other parts of the world, i.e. the Caribbean. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, I think my my upbringing in Toronto, you know, I learned how to hustle. I, I learned how to drive myself. I learned how to create self-drive. Mm -hmm. And again, some of these traits are very, very toxic. I, 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 well, I'm very self-aware, but <laughs> it's also put me on a platform of I'm comfortable handling stress and I know that there's always that I can make a stronger contribution. And, and so, yeah, I think my cultural upbringing really helped to position me as someone who wants to lead, who wants to continue to be ambitious, achieve those successes, hit those KPIs and have fun doing that. And, and, and you know, I'm now starting to get to that fun part to say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I am good at what I do. And, yes. and um yeah, get over that hump for sure. Yes. Okay. So you had said a couple of times the idea of ambition could be toxic. And yeah. I'm curious where, I'm, I, I want you to share with us more about like how that drive supported you and getting you to where you are today and how it also has maybe allowed, I don't want to say allowed is the wrong word, but like how maybe you've 
stumbled through it as well because that it was such a like a strong value in how you grew up. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, again, because of how I, I grew up and, and, you know, just having that support system to keep pushing, you know, keep driving, like it, it was more, yeah, you know, embracing that trade allowed me to, yeah, I mean, I always had those, you know, visions of grandeur, right? And so then to say, you know, I can, you know, to use the Drake line starting from the bottom, um, but it, it's really hard to see that when you're, still at the bottom or, yes. or even in the middle, it's, it's hard to see the end of the light of the tunnel. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think for me, you know, I, I've always have been, and I still continue to be ambitious. Mm -hmm. Um, it'd be very easy for someone in my role currently to stop, um, and to, you know, kind of pull the Thanos from game or from, um, the Avengers <laughs> and, you know, okay, I I've done, I've completed my task and, you know, just kind of sit back. Yeah. But for me, it's always about wanting to contribute because there's always more that we can be done. Again, very toxic trait, but I think, <laughs> you, you know, um, that ambition allowed me to, or that, that, that trait allowed me to persevere when times did get tough or mm -hmm. when I didn't actually know what the end outcome would look like. And so, you know, and I, I actually, ironically, I was, uh, before this podcast, I was uh, doing some stuff um, at my alma mater, the University of Toronto, yesterday, mm -hmm. speaking to first year, grad, uh, first year undergrad students. And I, I mentioned the same thing, which was that, you know, if, if I told myself in first year that this is, was going to be the, not end of the journey, but this is how the journey was going to manifest itself or, or, or result, I would be like, this would be the outcome. That's crazy. I would be like, there's absolutely no way. But it's <laughs> that ambition and drive that as things kept going hurly squirrely or they there was a pivot or there was, you know, something that didn't work out, the ability to persevere, to be resilient and mm -hmm. to embrace the unknown and roll with it, but then still use that ambition and drive to be the best possible version of myself in that circumstance. And so, yeah, in another timeline... I, I'm a lawyer. I'm, I'm a Bay Street lawyer. I'm corporate or, you know, um, criminal law, whatever the case may be. Um, and as you can tell, I'm a bit of a talker. I probably do a decent job at that. But it wasn't my passion. Yes. It, it would have been great for earning potential, I suppose. But it wasn't what I loved to do. Mm -hmm. uh, although I, I do love to talk, as you can tell. But <laughs> being a lawyer probably it wasn't what I was geared what I was meant to do. And, and that's not where my contribution to the living tree of our society was. My, yes. my contribution was growing the sports system, navigating and helping to steer the system as it went through this digital uh, technological revolution. And it, as it's still currently doing um, and to generate revenue on the business side of, of sport, you know, I think that's where my contribution was always has been and always will be. And it's because of that, I've been able to put that up, on a pedestal, but then embrace opportunities that have allowed me to flourish in that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to ask how, how you exactly got into, into sport, but before we go there, have you experienced yeah. burnout before? Yes. But, and, but, yeah. Yeah. Talk yeah, about, yeah tell okay. us about that. I, 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 would, I would say it's more so like burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. But I haven't, been so burnt out where I said I have to completely stop everything. I yes. think the burnout is, you know, it's almost like the phone battery where it gets to like 10% and then it says, 
hey, low battery, like you need to charge. Yes. And I think that, that that was my experience was whether it was academia, whether it was industry, it was getting to that 10% and I wasn't completely out of the tank. Or the, the tank wasn't completely empty, but it was, it's time to charge. And yeah. What yeah. did you realize? Like what were the things that were happening around you or physically to yourself or mentally that you were like, oh, this I'm at 10% right now. I need to do something different for a while. Yeah. I mean, mentally I was, you know, and I like to think I'm more self-aware now than I ever have been at any point in my life. But I think that mentally I probably wasn't in the best headspace in terms of um, partners and, you know, you say romantic physical relationships, but then also to be honest with you, Jenna, um, and look, look I, I, I'll be the first to say it. Like, I don't have a six pack. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Brad Pitt. I'm not, you know, LeBron James. Uh, you know, uh, but you know, I've, I've always been athletic in my body type, and I've always enjoyed sport, which we'll allude to and foreshadow. But yeah, part part of my burnout was also that I wasn't taking care of my mind and my body, mm-hmm. and there were periods where I like, but just before the burnouts, uh, you know, maybe like, like three years before that I was in great shape. I was, it was eaten decently and I was taking care of my body. Um, and then I just got into this zone where I totally negated those elements mm-hmm. and I was trying to focus in on being the best possible version of myself for the task of industry or academia. And, yeah, I was doing okay, but the it, it was a short-term gain for long-term uh, risk. Yeah. So yeah, part of the burnout was definitely not taking care of myself, like my body, uh, my eating habits, my sleeping habits, mm-hmm. but definitely not working out. And and specifically on the cardio front. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, I really, really, really regret that. Yeah, that I completely relate to that for sure myself. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. No, th- thanks for asking. <laughs> okay. Sport. How did you get into how did you get into sport? What did you play sports as a kid? It sounded like you had said your your family wasn't necessarily into sport, but did you were you like I really want to play? Blah blah blah, and then you signed up for it, or how did that all go down? Yeah. So and and so this is also like a really quick trigger warning to uh, the audience because like some of you may have experienced this before and it may trigger. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I, so what I mentioned off the top, my cultural upbringing. So my mom is from Guyana. My dad, my biological father is from St. Vincent and the Grenadines, but I, I am also a child of, of domestic abuse. So, you know, my, my biological father used to hit me and hit my mom and eventually, you know, my mom divorced. My dad was able, you know, and that's very hard for immigrants to do, let alone just any, any yeah. mother um, and, and woman. And so, but eventually, you know, all that aside, or not aside, but once that clears the, 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 the story, I suppose, once we clear that hoops, you know, I, I'm, I'm bereft of a father figure, right? I'm, I'm bereft of a paternal masculine, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. figure. And also my mom is working hard. She's trying to provide. So I need something to do and to stay out of trouble. And that advice for me, Jenna, was TSN. It was, it was watching sports. And I don't, I can't, to be honest, I can't tell you why, but I just loved it. I just loved watching sports. And now the other part of it is, you know, so my mom was a, an administrative assistant in a medical office at downtown Toronto. 
and she would get tickets. People would give her things because she they, they knew the situation, or or perhaps it was just a gift of of being altruistic, whatever the case may be, uh, philanthropic. But we would go to Jay's games. So I remember going to games in ninety two, ninety three. I was you know given. Uh, me, or sorry, given away. My mom had me go with uh, some of her uh, work friends to go see the Argos play or um, things of that nature. And that's really also what sort of facilitated that or conjured that and, and um, put, 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 put more gasoline on the flames of, of my passion for sport. Yeah. So, but to be honest, it was really, I'm a TV kid. Um, I'm also a video game kid. Love playing uh, sports video games too. And then, yeah, you know, with my friends playing t-ball, uh, not just in school, but you, you know, for the house league, uh, you know, in Toronto. So I, I played at McCormick. I don't know if many of the listeners will know that, but McCormick uh, uh, Park. And yeah, you know, really facilitated that. You know what? Sport was cool. And sport was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, like I'm not 6'5". Like I'm not, you know, 250. I, I'm, I'm not a professional athlete. Although, fun fact, I did enter the draft for a sport and I did go undrafted. But we'll, we'll save that maybe for a little bit later. Oh, but I'm very think, intrigued. <laughs> yeah. Well, clearly I'm not that good of an athlete. But I, you know, I, the sport was always important for me. And I think part of that, you know, to go back to the cultural upbringing questions, mm-hmm. like, it, it's it it was an anchor for me, but I just love the teams, the colors, the passion, cool. uh, both rational and irrational, most mostly the latter. But mm-hmm. it was just something that occupied an important space in my life growing up. For That's sure. awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. Who was your favorite Jays player as a kid? <laughs> So, uh, another trigger warning. Uh, my favorite baseball player growing up was Roberto Alomar. Um, so, I actually, I think I have a signed baseball of Roberto Alomar's here in my office, yeah. uh, which those of us cannot see. But yeah, Roberto Alomar, I thought second base was so cool. Um, I thought it was. Uh, like the hip cool position in baseball that like you didn't get as many ground balls as the shortstop who was you know running cool around like a maniac and, you know, the best player but yeah. second base you were like cool and you would get the ball every now and again and then you're just kind of and Roberto Alomar was you know so majestic um, <laughs> so yeah I was a big Alomar guy and then you know, obviously turns out to be a complete asshole but unfortunately yeah, yeah. I was a yeah, Kelly Gruber yeah. fan. Oh, okay, amazing. <laughs> and I mean, Joe Carter. We yeah. all need to. Yeah, 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 we need to yeah. ma- make mention of him as well. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and I, you know, I did enjoy Ed Sprague uh, because <laughs> the wad of tobacco in inside his mouth was just amazing. So, yeah, big Ed Sprague guy as well. Amazing. Uh, okay, okay. So sport. So. How did you identify that this was a possible career path then for you? You're not playing professionally, so <laughs> yeah. So so I'll, I'll fast forward a bit of a bit of the conversation, but I, I ended up playing lacrosse at the University of Toronto, okay. and I also ended up like fast forwarding the story a bit, uh, playing lacrosse at the University of Ottawa as well. Mm-hmm. And while I was at the University of Toronto, I was actually doing my undergrad in poli sci because, again, I was going along the path of becoming a lawyer. Yes. Um, like many bright-eyed high school kids, not knowing about their futures and just going, well, I'm going to choose the option that both satisfies my family but also income earning potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, in my first year at U of T, I was in a special program called Vic One. It's based out of Victoria College, one of the federated colleges at U of T. Mm-hmm. And I, I was able, long story short, to meet up with Bruce Kidd, uh, Dr. Bruce Kidd, who is one of Canada's most storied Olympians and is also, you know, one of the head honchos, for lack of a better term, at U of T for a variety of the amazing things that Bruce has done. And, you know, he encouraged me to, to keep, you know, analyzing and thinking about sport as a career. And I didn't still know that that was possible, but, you know, Bruce's, you know, his, his encouraging words to me were don't let sport die essentially. Like I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, integrate it into everything that you do if you can. And so I took that to heart and in every assignment that I could possibly weave sport content in, I did. I remember one, yeah, I remember one criminology paper where it was about, you know, choose it was something to do with crime and, and and the mind and i decided to do it on the criminality of athletes mm-hmm. uh, mike tyson biting an ear or you know uh, a domestic assault of some sort you know sort of like yes. a ray rice situation yeah yeah and and, and you know uh, you know some of the professors would be amenable amenable to it and it, some of them would be like nah this is dumb and yeah. it wasn't until my fourth year where i wrote a paper about the 2010 vancouver olympic games and the potential impacts on the indigenous communities where my instructor in that course, uh, not only did I get a great grade, I mean, that also helped, but <laughs> she, she, she pulled me aside and she said, there's something here. Have you thought about doing this going forward? And I said, no. And at the time I had been working at the Roger Center in event ops mm-hmm. and I had been working for the Forzani group in retail mm-hmm. and I, I saw the ability to work my way up those systems as well, but simultaneously this newfound knowledge that you know what there's a new world of sport out there that where you can marry sport and business sport and management sport and the sociological aspects of um the that industry i didn't know that that was plausible possible um Mm -hmm. and i yeah i then started to do my homework and the rest is kind of history on that front yeah Yeah. that is so cool i think there's such an opportunity for us to stand back and listen to what others are saying to it, like to actually listen to what others are saying and recognizing that we might not see ourselves. And I also think that there's an opportunity for us as leaders to do that more for others. Absolutely. I think it's, yeah. 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 I, I, I think, yeah, I completely agree. I think it's incumbent on those of us in industry to, really encourage the next generation to harness their passions mm-hmm. but also i also think it's it's equal like i mean it's it's a it's a give and take but it's there's also an onus on the next generation to listen to themselves mm-hmm. i think it's very easy to listen to the external noise about oh, okay well you need to get a good job because you know you need to be able to pay for a home in the GTA or Vancouver mm-hmm. or where whatever urban center you're thinking of, um, if that's your jam. Um, you, you need to think about inflation. You need to think about this. So it's very easy to get sucked into the rabbit hole of, you know, I need to do this because it's the right thing to do, but is it the right thing for you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if I listen to the external voices, again, I become a lawyer. I write the LSAT, right. I go to law school, and I'm like, every other lawyer in Ontario. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, if that's your jam, that's your jam. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, my, my listening to that inner voice of, you know, there is something, there was sport, 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 not thinking about the money necessarily, not thinking about the prestige, not thinking about the long-term contribution, but thinking about, okay, like, let's see where this, this will take me. Listening, betting on myself was the best thing that I ever did. <laughs> and it was because of those encouraging words yes. from Dr. Kidd and from that instructor where I then was able to do my own homework and then chart my own path going forward. And I've been able to prosper ever since. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree, Jenna. It's definitely incumbent on, you know, those of us who have gotten a little bit further in our careers to, to reach out and encourage that next generation. But the onus on the next generation is also there to really like, listen to your body, listen to your mind. Like, what is it saying? And, mm-hmm. and bet on yourself because that's the best bet you could ever make. Oh. Love that. I hope you said that yesterday to the students as well. <laughs> it, it was uh, something like that. I'm very preachy. I'm, I'm sure the I love it. I'm enrolled. You're in the right role with students <laughs> for sure. Okay. So then how did academia, how did they, how did your career then continue from that point? So your professor had said to you, like, have you ever really considered bringing this forward, like going, pushing this one. So how, how did you go from that point? What did you start to get involved with? So at that point, and again, I had been working event ops at Rogers and I had been working in retail at the Forzani group, which is now owned by Kane Tire. And at the time it was Sport Check and National Sports, which are two sports retail uh, companies. Shocking. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Yeah. So I got that encouraging moment and I started to do my homework. I started to look up sport management, sports studies. Um, I started to look up, go to my library's website and, and type in sport um, and see what came through and then find some names and look at affiliations and things like that. And so fast forward, um, I ended up at the University of Windsor, which has got a fantastic sport management program. And I had done my homework. Well, I had gone for a visit. They, you know, they said all the amazing things you want to hear. <laughs> um, I, lo- I fell in love with the place. Again, as some my cultural upbringing, low low income, almost like a hustler, uh, I you know look at Windsor and I was like, you know what? There's there's a hustle here as well. It's it's a blue collar town. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know Rust Belt, and but there's also a lot of amazing sport academics that have come out of that um, that department. So I I thought this you know what this is going to be great and um, made the right decision. So so while I was there. I was able to continue to expand my knowledge and breadth of, of the sport industry and all the various facets, whether it's people and culture, HR, strategy, uh, but then of course the marketing and sponsorship side of things, uh, the biz dev rev gen, um, I was able to work in the athletic department and I also actually was able to work in residence life, which was amazing. Cool. And it was through that, yeah, it was through that experience though, I did come to a, a, a crucial fork in the road where I thought, you know, I could stop now and I could be like maybe 75% of my classmates and find work in the sport industry full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go and work for, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays, maybe with sports entertainment, um, maybe go out west to Calgary, whatever the case may be, because those are true things that happened to my colleagues. Mm-hmm. But, and this is going to say, this is, this is narcissism 101 coming out, but, and again, I'm very self-aware, but I just want to, <laughs> this is, a, you know, I'm ready for it. when I was getting, it was very close. So when I was getting closer to the end, the many people go through that in academia, you know, undergrad, grad, 
I'm so done with school, right? I'm just, my brain is fried. And I was at that point too, but I also saw that the sport industry was changing, that there was this huge tech uh, initiative. Um, social media had just come about, you know, a couple of years earlier or prior and hadn't really been fully diffused in sport, uh, the sport industry. I had seen obviously this advancement in tech and communication and with BlackBerry and, 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 and email and IT and all that stuff. And so on one hand, I'm thinking there's a long-term play here. And the narcissistic element is that, to be honest, I didn't think that there was gonna be enough of a, I, I, sorry, I, I thought that there was gonna be a bigger, closer ceiling if I had entered the sport industry at that point in time. I, I figured, you know, I would have probably needed to hustle from the bottom up, but I knew it was going to be super competitive. I knew it was going to be um, a bit of a challenge to get an internship and hopefully keep something. And then again, with all of the different external and internal pressures I'm dealing with, you know, I'm thinking, you know what, it's not, I, I don't want to stop. I think there's actually something else here. So again, on one hand, it is very narcissistic of me to say, well, you know, I'm too good to work now. <laughs> but it, it wasn't just that because again, if, if I look if I look back and hindsight is 2020, I could have stopped. I could have said, you know what, with my partner at that point in time, her and I are going to get a house together in Windsor and be close to her family. And we're going to, I'm going to get work in Windsor and Detroit and I'm just going to settle and, and make a life. And, and that would have been, again, just totally fine. But there was, I think there was something else there. And more importantly, I did make a bet on myself. I did say, <laughs> you know what, from the research that I did, I, I found a gap. There is an opportunity here and it's something that is worth pursuing. Mm -hmm. And it was a huge, it's a high risk, high reward situation. So again, being very clear about it, I knew that it was a bit of a risk, but at the end of the day, um, cause I could graduate with a doctorate and still end up working for, you know, Peloton or Nike or, or, or MLSE. Yes. So which, which many, which, or, or you know, I, I have a colleague who started in academia and now works for Meta. It's very plausible that, you know, with my doctorate, I would have ended up in industry full time. Right. But I think that, you know, again, a bit of a narcissistic uh, um, explanation, but also I identified an opportunity that, I thought was worth betting on. And I'm so glad that I did. And, and, and also I should say, it also gave me the platform though, to still test the waters because with my research, I was able to go to BlackBerry and work for that one year on the marketing and, and experiential side of things. And that also cemented that, you know what, the bet that I made was the right bet. Yes. Okay. So then that leads into this digital marketing expertise of yeah. yours. Okay. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. So I'm working at BlackBerry and then I, I end up working at Samsung in their tablets and televisions division. And while at the same time, I'm, I'm digging into the research, I'm doing um, all the little things on the sort of academic front. And then I get a call from a colleague who was also doing his PhD at the time. His name is David Patterson. And Dave said, Hey, Mike, um, would you have any interest in consulting for Team Canada? And I was like, that's interesting. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. So Dave, uh, yeah, exactly. Thumbs up. D Dave was working full time at Team Canada at the Canadian Olympic Committee um, and had been moonlighting as a PhD student on, this, on the side. He, <laughs> he, he was great and he finished and, and Dr. Dave is, is fantastic. 
He's now at the U- United States Olympic Committee. Oh, cool. Um, I should just sort of quick shout out to Dave. But <laughs> yeah, so Dave, Dave invited me to consult for Team Canada on, on digital media and, and social media. And I was like, absolutely. So um, working with a lot of the national sport federations in, in Ottawa, working with a lot of them in Calgary, out west, and helping to upskill you know, our, our amateur sports system to be where the professional sports system was at that time, which was very forward thinking with social media, at least having a presence and yeah. having a strategy around that. So, you know, that, that really accelerated my, again, that I made the right bet, but it really started to grow the opportunities. And the next thing I knew, I was in Lillehammer for the 2016 Youth Olympic Games, also doing similar things, researching, working with the organizing committee in Lillehammer. I'm yeah. not sure if any of the listeners have been to Norway or Je- Jenna, have you been to Norway? I haven't. I would oh, like it's to. It's phenomenal. The, the, so they've got this fish soup. They call it fisk soupe. So obviously it's Norwegian for fish soup. Yeah. It's really good though. Yes. And um, my also was a quick anecdote. The one winter I was there, I, it was 2016, but I did go back again in 2018, uh, 2017, I believe. Mm-hmm. I had reindeer, which is actually really good. Interesting. Quite gamey, yeah, I would so, assume. Yeah, don't, don't, yeah so, so don't tell don't tell the kids. I was just going to say, you ate Sven <laughs> in Frozen. Yeah, I ate Sven. Um, I ate Sven. My daughter, but Miller, would be delicious. very sad, <laughs> but he was delicious. <laughs> I didn't see Olaf, but I definitely, I saw Sven and Sven, Sven ain't coming to the next party. But, he was on your plane. Uh, he was, yeah, he was, he was on the plane. Yeah, so, so next thing you know, I'm, I'm working for the IOC as a researcher and, you know, I'm, I'm loving things. It, it's, it's great. And yeah, so the digital marketing piece just kept growing and growing and growing. And, um, you know, organizations kept asking for help, uh, both on the pro side and the amateur side yeah. and yeah the allure of dr mike narain just kept growing and growing <laughs> and yeah um, that, now that being said it, it does hit an inflection point because you know again there was burnout prior to that like i, I did feel burnt out i think i would say 2015 to 20 just before 2016 i think 2015 was probably my my burnout year mm-hmm. where i hit that 10 percent and you know, I didn't know if it was like, I, I thought about stopping. I thought about quitting. I thought about, you know, again, just defaulting back to, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, move back to Toronto and, and, you know, stay with my family and, you know, save money, all those things. But yeah, you know, there was some perseverance there for sure. And thankfully, cause in 2016, you know, going to Norway, things are starting to look up consulting, things are starting to look up. Um, and yeah, it just took off from there. That's really cool. Okay. I've got there's a little bit of time left with you, and I want to ask you a handful of questions that I like to call the lightning round. Sure. Okay, so to start. Let's do it. What business, podcast, or book are you listening to or reading right now? Okay, so I'm reading a book, and it's called Money Talks by Molly Knight. It's from 2015, so it's a little bit dated, but I'm a little bit slow on the draw. It's about the Los Angeles Dodgers and their sort of rise to, you know, spending a lot of money it's a little bit of the antithesis to moneyball but it's a really interesting story and if anyone followed the divorce of the owners who own the the los angeles dodgers in 08 it's it's fantastic i highly recommend okay it sounds like a little bit of the real housewives gossip paired with sport (laughs) and (laughs) business all in one my favorite things (laughs) 
Do you experience Sunday scaries? And if you do, how do you deal with them? And if you don't, then what's your secret? Um, the Sunday scaries. No, I I don't. Again, probably because I'm a narcissist. <laughs> but <laughs> so yeah, what's my secret to not experiencing the Sunday scaries? Again, I I do own the fact that I have some very toxic traits. Some of them is the inability to disconnect um, from work on the weekends and things like that. But I'm very, in, I, I've learned over the, especially the past three years with COVID and, and just my new colleagues here back in Canada to be more intentional with my time. Mm-hmm. And that the most powerful word that we have in, in the English language or any language for that matter, just translated is the word no. Mm-hmm. And no, unfortunately, is very pessimistic. It's very uh, sometimes seen as adversarial or, you know, uh, again, as I mentioned, pessimistic or just negative. But no is not necessarily negative. It's just you have to respect your time. You have to anticipate your, your lifestyle and schedule and all the things that you value. And so, you know, me worried about the following week to come. And so I get the Sunday scaries thinking about what's going to happen. Like, no, I, I, I don't because... For me, I'm going to probably watch NFL Red Zone on Sunday and I'm going to tell my wife I'm, I'm doing that. And, you know, if we have to go to Home Depot, or whatever, I just roll with the punches. <laughs> and I, 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 th- I think, you know, for me, Jenna, the I know this is a lightning round, but just really quickly. For me, I've come to the realization that regardless, I will make my contribution however big or small but the world will keep spinning yes. with or without me. And, and as, that's a sad realization a little bit. It's a little bit morbid, but even after my time on planet Earth is gone, there will be others that will make a contribution. And the living tree that is our world will continue to grow and hopefully, you know, climate change aside, but like it will continue to grow and, and it's dynamic and it'll continue. People will add to it going forward. Yes. So for me, you know, the biz- the business function will continue to spin. Um, I can only do what I can do. So yeah, no, I don't get the Sunday Yeah, scary. I appreciate that and all that you shared with that. So thank you. What is yeah. the weirdest question that you've been asked in an interview over the years? Uh, it's got to be like, I mean, I'm going to go with what's your favorite color. And like, I know it's not as like egregiously bad or awkward as some of the other ones that I'm sure you talk about on the pod, yeah. but like... I just like I'm creative, but I'm not like very colorful, if that makes sense. Like, I know the listeners can't see this right now, but my I've got a very minimal aesthetic. I mean, this aside, my house is very black and white. And I've kind of adopted that from my wife, who's very also black and white. And so my life is not really full of color right now. And so when, when, when they ask in an interview, like, what's your favorite color? I'm like, uh, blue. And they're like, okay, well, why? It's like, oh, great. Now I got to like dig in. <laughs> well, let me tell you I why it's a, it's a great color because yeah, uh, it's a popular well, sport I color. Blue is cool. Well, I just think blue is cool. And honestly, part of the reason I think blue is cool is because I grew up in Toronto yeah. and that was the color of the Leafs and the Blue yes. Like, and, and the Argos. Like, I don't know any different. So... <laughs> It's, look, I'm wearing blue on this call right now. It's so random. (laughs) Okay, what interview questions should candidates always be prepared to answer? You know, okay, that's a great question. You know, besides the, you know, what do you bring to the table, all those sorts of things, you know, I think the good question to be thinking about there is, or be, sorry, in terms of preparation, how are you going to grow 
by being with us. I think that's something that, again, you don't really necessarily think about is like, okay, I got to go into the interview thinking about helping them, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily how they're going to help me. Mm -hmm. It is a symbiotic relationship. The organization, the business function doesn't proceed without its people Mm -hmm. and the people don't grow if not for the organization and what it can uh, facilitate and manifest, um, for the, for the people within the unit. So for, for me, it's not just thinking about, okay, well I can do this for you and I can do that. And then you want me to be your Swiss army knife? Absolutely. It's also, this is why this role is so important for me, because I'm going to be able to grow in this respect and hone these skills mm-hmm. to make me a better person, not just for this company, but also for my community. And I think just really quickly, Jenna, I know this is the lightning round, but I did want to say, uh, because I say this to my students as well, you know, careers are about three things for me. Definitely professional development, of course, but personal development and civic development. Mm -hmm. Without a strong society, we have no business to, and we have no career, Mm -hmm. right? There's nothing to contribute to on the living tree. So we got to make sure that, yes, we want to become better professionals in our careers. Absolutely. But we need to be good people. We need to work on ourselves and work on our traits. You know, I'm continuing to work on all my toxic traits, as I've mentioned on the call. But I also want to be a better person for the community that I live in and, and that I've been able to grow in and give back to that. And we also need to be cognizant of that as a career professionals that, if we don't have a strong society, we don't have a career to then work towards, yes, right? So I love we that. need to be working on our personal development, our professional development, but also our civic development. Yeah, love that so much. Two more questions. What's your yeah. top tip for standing out in the job market right now? Okay. Uh, top tip is to be the best, amazing, possible person on Twitter. Oh. You know, LinkedIn is a ses- LinkedIn is a cesspool of sales. <laughs> it it's is. It's a cesspool. It is. Now, right? Yes. I mean, you, we just get DM'd with, hey, have you thought about this new product? Yes. Or I'm an entrepreneur thinking about this. this. Check out my new website. Yes. Now, LinkedIn is great. Don't get me wrong. LinkedIn is good for what it is, but it, it's turned into, for me, and this is my personal bias, but it's turned into like Facebook, mm-hmm. where yes. it's more salesy, it's the top dog in its milieu. And so 80% of all jobs are are like hidden jobs, right? Like yes. there's 20% that are going to get posted to Indeed.com and are going to get posted uh, through our informal networks, but uh, you know, online, but 80% are under the surface. They are the, hey, calling up a buddy and be like, hey, do you know anybody? Because I've got something mm-hmm. or taking it offline. But part of that, ironically, I use the word offline in, in a loose sense, but Twitter, I've seen so many sponsorship deals, marketing deals, job offers, you know, collaborations happen through Twitter DM. And, you know, particularly in my industry, the sport industry and academia for that matter, I've seen so many of those deals go down on Twitter. Um, so and there's something that I can't talk about on the pod right now because I don't know when the pod's coming out. But there's something that I'm cooking up right now with, I'll say Bell Media, that's as much as I can say, that happened through Twitter um, and and through some DMs. And so 
you know, there, there's just some amazing things that happen. So be active on Twitter, engage yourself, immerse yourself into the conversations you want to be a part of and really start to build out your brand persona on Twitter. Oh, I love that. I've never heard that before. I love it. It makes, I'm going to set up a Twitter account for myself and start tweeting. Hold me accountable to that. Final question. <laughs> what is the number one action everyone listening can take to own their career? The number one action to own their career. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's just, it, and we're talking about digital marketing. We're not talking about social media. It's to, yeah, have an airtight story. What is your story? You're not just a person who's trying to get a job at, in this particular line of work, which is going to then help to build your career in that, you know, pathway. What is your story? I mean, and that's why, you know, it's so great, Jenna, that you asked the questions that you do at the beginning of the pod uh, interviews, because yeah, you are a person, you grew up in a particular part of you know, like those life experiences created the, the person that you are today, that they, they helped facilitate that. But you know, what do you stand for? Who are, are you a people person? Are you ambitious? Are you um, all about culture? Are you all about, um, are you a music aficionado? Like everyone is so different and stories are compelling if you if they are well told mm -hmm. stories are not compelling when they are not well told just think about a good book or a good pod or a good movie or a good t television show right we love different music and movies and tv shows because of their stories and what they are trying to represent so you need to think about what your story is about and make it compelling and you may not think it's compelling but it will be compelling if you are authentic if you are relevant and you are engaging about that story and you consistently tell that story to everyone in the industry so they know you mm -hmm. for your story. Mm. When you start to pivot and change your story and it's broken telephone, that's not a good thing. So to own your career going forward, you got to know what is, there's one thing you take away from Mike Narain, it's what is your story? Awesome. What is the, what is the story that you're trying to tell? Love that. Where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mike Narain, verified by the way, you should just throw that out Woo! there. Not, yeah, so yeah, at Mike, at Mike Narain on Twitter, give, give me a shout, give me a DM. You can find me on LinkedIn as well, Mike, uh, at Mike Narain and all the other socials. You can also email me if you'd like, mnarain at brocku.ca, but mostly, I, I mean, I answer all my Twitter DMs and, and all uh, my LinkedIn DMs. So yeah, slide away, slide away. Cool. Thank you so much for being here. Love yeah, your, no, I so love your storytelling. Speaking of stories, I love your storytelling. I appreciate you. Oh, no, I appreciate you, Jenna, and uh, keep, keep, on, keep on trucking. You're doing an amazing job with <laughs> helping people to own their career. Thank you. Awesome. Is it the right thing to do or the right thing for you? This moment in our conversation really landed for me. Thinking about Mike's journey, he would have never ended up where he is today without following his inner voice, his love of sport, and trusting his intuition. I hope hearing part of Mike's journey today inspires you to take action, and I encourage you to consider where in your career can you find the courage and make a bet on yourself. Before we go, I have a small favor. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review and share with a friend. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Own Your Career, and I'll see you next week.